Hello, this is Megan with the VBAC link. And today we have another beautiful story for you. We are so excited to share all of these stories, this beautiful 2023. That's going to be a great year. That is what I keep saying. It's going to be a great year. No more weird viruses and all the things. It's just going to be a good, positive year. And we're starting this week out with a positive VBAC story. We have Abby with us today, and she is from North Carolina. Is that correct? Yes, Charlotte, North Carolina. Yes, I love it. We have a quite a few. We actually have some doulas in North Carolina um, as well. So that's really cool. Maybe you guys could all connect. I would love um, that. Yes. And she is actually a doula as well. She is not practicing right now because she has a whole bunch of little bodies around. But this birth has totally motivated her and just boosted her spirits into the day that she does get back into doula work. So Abby, welcome. I am going to share a quick review and then we will jump right into your beautiful story. So this, I can't wait. Yeah, me either. I really can't wait for your story. Um, this is Paige Broadway. She shared her review and it was on Apple Podcasts and it says, allowing me to believe in myself which just that subject right there makes me so happy because that is exactly why the VBAC link exists is allowing you to believe in yourself. And we talk about this all the time. It's to believe in yourself, to make the decision that's best for you. We don't always have to have a VBAC. We don't always have to have a repeat cesarean or maybe a VBAC is chosen to a repeat cesarean or scheduled. It doesn't matter the way we birth, but as long as we believe in ourselves and we believe in our ability to make the right choice for us. That is like exactly what this podcast is for. Her review says, my husband and I are currently trying to conceive. I knew immediately after my C-section that I never wanted to have an experience like that again. This podcast is giving me the strength to already switch providers and the knowledge to prepare for VBAC. I can do this. And Paige, you absolutely can do this just like all the others here. Right. Right. Abby, do you feel like oh my that? Gosh. that? That is just like the most encouraging thing. And that's how I felt about the VBAC link for like five years. And now I'm here telling my story. So yes, Paige, you can do it. You really can. Yes, you really, really can. And, and we always accept more reviews. You can drop us an email at the info at the vbacklink.com or Apple Podcasts, Google Play. You can send us on Instagram, wherever it may be. We love to read your reviews. We love to receive your reviews. Um, so definitely, if you wouldn't mind, push pause and drop us a review. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Okay, Abby. Oh, we have so many stories on this podcast. And I know that, like you said, here you've been five years and now you are here sharing your story. And you are just 
fresh. You are fresh out of it, right? Two weeks. Very fresh. Yeah. Just- I'm like just stopped wearing Depends the other day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love it. That is fresh. That is fresh. Out Very of, fresh. Fresh out of uh, birth. And you know, sometimes I feel like right out of birth, it's so fun because it's, again, it's so fresh and it's in the forefront of your mind. And so you have all the like detailed things to share. So I am so, so, so excited for you to share your story. So go ahead. Oh my goodness. Well, I should start at the beginning about five years ago. My daughter is turning five on January 31st. So it's been almost exactly five years since she was born. And I went to a doula training when I was like 20, 22-ish years old, way before my husband and I met. And on our first date, he told me that he didn't want to be in the room when the baby was born. And I literally told him that he should go on a date with someone else because it was so important. (laughs) I was like, this isn't going to work out. So I showed him the business of being born on like our second date. And he shifted dramatically since then. (laughs) But I feel like that gives just a little background of like, who I am as a human being. And your passion. (laughs) I feel very strongly about it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I was, I was really quite young. And I honestly, I have to give a shout out to a friend of mine who's now a midwife, but was a doula at the time. We went on a mission trip to Africa and we were sitting in a bed in Uganda and she was talking about how beautiful birth was. And I was a teenager. I think I had, I was soon to turn 21 and was like, why would you not get an epidural? Like I just did not share. I was very far away from childbearing years and time. And I just didn't understand. And she just sat so patiently with me and explained in such a beautiful way, how beautiful birth is and that it it can create a mother and that, that it's worth it to go through what you go through and come out on the other side of it. And it was just such a meaningful conversation to me and really shifted my whole worldview and made me who I am today. And so it's interesting thinking back on that girl who would have said, why wouldn't anyone get it? Why would you not get an epidural? Why would you you know, want to have natural childbirth yeah. to the way that my stories ended up, which is just bananas. So needless to say, I was very crunchy and felt like, okay, I would love to have a home birth, but it was my first baby. And mm-hmm. so my husband was kind of like, mm, maybe we should do like a birth center. And at the time there was a birth center in Charlotte. So that's the direction that we went. And I was just picturing, you know, the twinkle lights and a tub and all of the things that yes. you see on Instagram <laughs> for birth. That was the mental picture that existed in my brain. And at that time, I was listening to another birth podcast and I specifically remember skipping over C-section stories. I was just not mm-hmm. interested in them. I just didn't want to, I didn't even think it applied. I, I, it wasn't right. even intentional. It was just like, oh, well, I don't need to listen to those because I'm not that's going not to. That's not what I'm doing. Exactly. Yeah, that's not what I'm doing. So I, why would I need to listen to that? Mm-hmm. And I, in retrospect, that really messed me up. And I love that y'all's podcast mentions, like, this is a podcast for all moms. Like, this does not need to just be people who have had C-sections. I think listening to the VBAC link can help you prepare to a not have a C-section, but also prepare for a C-section. If that's what, what has to happen for you. It was, it was just a really difficult transition to me for me from the twinkle light picture to ending up with a Mm C-section. Um, but my pregnancy with Hadley was fine. I was, I, it's funny because I'm older now, (laughs) 
And I was like, oh, that pregnancy was great. I was in great shape and I was much younger and everything was fine and easier. Um, I did have a rib pop out of place. I know now that she was sunny side up for the almost entire pregnancy. So my whole third trimester was excruciatingly painful. And I had never seen a chiropractor before that. So I went to a chiropractor eventually, but it was really just like band-aids. Like it wasn't really helping because my body was not in the right condition beforehand. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm a really big proponent of body work that'll come back in the rest of my story. But at the time, I just didn't, I just didn't know what I didn't know. And so I was in a lot of pain towards the end. But other than that, everything was fine. I went overdue, which I expected. I was excited when I made it to 37 because I was still allowed to be at the birth center. And I, I think I was probably pretty ready. And I tried to do some induction acupuncture. And I'm not sure if it actually did anything, mm-hmm. but then a couple of days later, I started having what I felt like were contractions. I'd never been in labor before. And right. so they were like two minutes apart, but really, really short and not getting any longer. And I was just kind of confused. And my, my doula gut, I guess, was like, this feels off, but also I'm dying. <laughs> so I don't know what to do about this. So we called my doula over and went to the birth center after almost 48 hours of having those contractions at home. Mm. And again, if I knew what I, if I knew then what I know now, I would have taken a bath and had some Epsom salt and probably pro-dromal labor. But we went to the birth center and I told the midwife, I can't not tell this part of the story, but I told the midwife, uh, if you tell me I'm one centimeter, I'm going to kick you in the face. And she <laughs> backed up because I was only one you centimeter. You were one centimeter? <laughs> oh, I was like, no, don't back up. Come in my face and tell me I'm like a four or something. Like, give me some right? hope. And I just knew at that point that it was it was over. Cause I was like, I'm so tired. Like tired. this is the point when I'm asking for an epidural and I'm one centimeter. Like, how can I, how could I possibly get through this? But the worst news was yet to come. She said, you have to transfer to the hospital. You have a fever of like a hundred point two. And she thought that I had choreo. Uh, I think, I don't know how to say the actual word. It's choreo amniitis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something along those lines. That's why they choreo. call it choreo. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. Infection. It's <laughs> an right. infection. It's a uterine infection. So she said, I'm sorry, I'm diagnosing you with a uterine infection. You have to go to the hospital. And oh, I was just devastated. And honestly, that was the point of my birth where I feel like I really lost all of my power, like mm-hmm. as a person and a mother. And the rest of the birth felt like it just happened to me. It was not, mm. I was not like an active participant. Yeah. So I went to the hospital and they said, you actually don't have a fever because the hospital system's like standard of a fever is over a hundred. And at the hospital, I was like 99.7 or something. So they said, you don't have a fever. We're going to let you labor. So it went down. I don't know if it went down or it's just a different thermometer. And they were like, you, according to us, you don't have a fever. So yeah. we'll let you labor, which in retrospect was like good news because it, I, if they had just sliced me open the second I got there, I probably would have never set foot in a hospital again. And that would have been very bad news for my second birth. So I, I think that would have really turned me off of the medical system altogether and doctors. And I just would have 
gone real red pill in the other direction. So they let me labor, but I ended up with an epidural at one centimeter. I tried to get in the little dinky shower at the hospital and it was like cold half water. And I was like, this is doing nothing. I wanted to be in the tub at the birth center. And so I ended up with an epidural flat on my back. And at that point you're like, well, who cares? Like if, if I'm already here, why not do Pitocin? Why not break my water? And so thus Mm -hmm. began the cascade of interventions. Ironically that it started with an epidural. I feel like that's not always the case, but that was very much the cascade of interventions for me. I did not want them to break my water, but eventually they did. I was there for three days and they really Mm. let me, they go, they let me go for a long time. Yeah. It's actually really impressive. I I was so pleased with the care that I received and both of the OBs that were flipping on and off on call were very patient with me. And I think they kind of knew, Oh, this is one of those birth center moms. Like we might as well just let her, let her do it. Let her try. Like (laughs) that was kind of the vibe that, that I got, but it was genuine. They really, they really were like, yeah, you can totally do this, but really it was an induction. It was an unnecessary induction because I was one centimeter and I wasn't really in labor. I wasn't having true labor contractions. I wish that I had just gone home and gone to sleep, but we wouldn't be here having this conversation if I had. Uh Um, So I got to 10 eventually and I made it to pushing eventually. And the epidural that I had was so strong that mm-hmm. I could not feel from my shoulders all the way down. I was like numb. I've never been so numb in my life. Wow. But again, I didn't know that's not what an epidural was supposed to feel like. It was, uh, you know, they were telling me to push and I was just like, oh, what, it, what do you mean? What do you mean? They told me to lift, lift my legs <laughs> up. And I was like, I can't hold my legs. They weigh 4,000 pounds. What are you talking about? So I, there were, the nurses were not as kind as the OBs and I could tell that they were not approving of my pushing and that it wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing. But the benefit of Hadley's birth, she asked that I say her name on the podcast. So the benefit of Hadley's birth was that by the time I made it to 10 and pushing, they tried to use a vacuum like seven times. Like it was... Mm. They tried all the things. They really, yeah. really let me go. And yeah. so by the time they said it was time for a C-section, I trusted them. And it wasn't like, I didn't feel like it was a snap judgment. Gosh. I felt like, you yeah. know what? Okay. I, I agree. It, if this isn't working, it's not working. There's nothing else we can do. So come to find out she was sunny side up. I was going to say, yes. did she, was she sunny side up still? She was. She was. And so when they had broken my water, she basically just got stuck up in that broken rib cage and never made it around my pubic bone. So I also did have choreo. <laughs> we found out after. Oh, no but way. I, it was just the wildest. It was just like a Murphy's Way joke that it was the Murphy's Law birth and that every wow. random thing could have possibly happened. But everyone was fine. I was fine. Hadley was fine. But it was deeply traumatic for me. It. I really did not feel like I was present for it at all. It was really difficult to feel like I wanted to have this empowering personal experience and it was so impersonal and medicalized and I was separated from Hadley for the first few hours of her life. And they took me into, I don't even know what it's called, but it's like in between 
and it was just, it was a terrible experience. Mm, yeah. <laughs> My husband was super traumatized because that's not what he thought was happening either. And it was right. just, really, it was really, really difficult for us. So that is really when I started listening to the VBAC link was like right away. I was like, done. I'm having a VBAC. That was terrible. Not doing that again. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I felt pretty strongly about that. Unfortunately, it took us two and a half years to get pregnant with our second. We had three miscarriages along the way. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our story has been not right nows and maybe laters. And we are really thankful for the children that we have, which is just wild how they all got here in the correct timing. So we were filling out adoption paperwork in January 2021 after so long of trying and found out on February 1st, the day after my five-year-old's third birthday, that we were pregnant. And it was like the darkest line I've seen since I was pregnant with Hadley. It was like, this is the baby. This is the one she's going to stick it. around. And I felt like this was my VBAC. And I don't know if that was just my personality and my like, oh, this is going to happen. I'm just going to like manhandle this into being the case. But I very much wanted it to be my VBAC. So... That pregnancy went kind of similarly with rib pain. I started chiropractic earlier this time, but still really struggled with the rib. And Jenny was, her name's Jenny. Jenny was sunny side up the whole time. <laughs> so that was against me from the beginning that uh, she was sunny side up. But again, I don't know how I didn't spend more time thinking about it or trying to get her into a better position but I just didn't. It was honestly like the height of COVID and I had a toddler. Life was just yeah. sort of still happening. And so I went into labor. I thought <laughs> on the, I was 39 weeks exactly. And my water broke at home and I was elated because with Hadley, my water didn't break on its own. And so I felt like, oh my gosh, labor is starting. I'm going into labor. Naturally, this is exactly what I wanted. I like stood up and it was like a gush and it was very much <laughs> my water. Yes. <laughs> like it was no mistaking. Okay. Um, that's not pee. So <laughs> I'm definitely, my water has broken and I was so excited and then nothing happened like mm -hmm. at all. I can it totally was relate Sunday. to that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. I listened to your birth stories. I, it was a Sunday. So a friend came to pick up our toddler and we were like all excited and we're going to have a baby. Nothing. Nothing. Like crickets. Like not even a single cramp. I walked four miles that day. Like we did all the things and it just was like, no, not we went to sleep that night. And I was like, I'm not going to the hospital until 24 hours. And then I'm going to tell the hospital that it hasn't even been that long which is sort of mm -hmm. what happened. But uh, I, we went in about 24 hours later and I still had not had a single contraction. Absolutely nothing happened. So were you still leaking? Yes. Yeah. There was, it was still coming. again, again with the diapers. <laughs> I yeah. have to buy stock and depend at this point, but yes, I, it was definitely my water and it yeah. was definitely not doing anything. Yeah. So I went to the hospital, had, uh, you know, triage takes a million hours when you're like not in active labor. So we were in triage mm -hmm. forever and they wanted to get me hooked up to continuous fetal monitoring. And I said, oh, okay, so I'll have the wireless one. And they were like, oh, it doesn't work. And I was like, 
<laughs> that's not what I signed up for. Like my practice was very like, yes, you can have a VBAC. Actually, my midwife was very, you can have a VBAC, but she was a part of a practice that had mm. OBs and you mm-hmm. sort of don't know who you're going to get until the day of. So I was, I felt very supported throughout my whole pregnancy. And like everyone thought I was going to have a VBAC. I had, you know, plenty of those conversations with OBs that you're like, they're like, okay, so just so you know, here are the risks. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. (laughs) I know all the risks. I've done the research. Thank you very much for informing me. Have a nice day. And then when I think back, I think there were probably some red flags that it was a support or friendly, but not supportive. Yes. Mm -hmm. Tolerant. Yes. Tolerant, but not supportive practice. But again, I didn't know that until I knew that. So I started an induction. My contraction started getting regular. It worked. I was dilating and I made it to about six centimeters. And I don't think I mentioned this before, but uh, my husband had childhood cancer. And Mm -hmm. so he has pretty severe like medical trauma and hospitals are particularly triggering for him and other people being in pain is also triggering for him. I'm sure. Yeah. So at around six centimeters, I was starting to need a little bit more support and my doula because inductions take forever was like, okay, well, I'm going to go home and just spend the day at home and I'll come back at night when you like really need. Cause I was chilling. I was just like watching. Yeah friends and like hanging out until I wasn't. And it started to pick up really quickly. They, I, what made me start to need more support was that they turned off the Pitocin when I had to go to the bathroom and then they turned it back on and didn't change the number. I think it was at a nine, but something about turning it off and turning it back on made my body go, Whoa, that was really intense. And all of a sudden it felt like insane pit contractions. And my husband started to have a really hard time supporting me through it. And my doula was stuck in line at Chick-fil-A. Like, you know, once you're in the line, you can't get out of the drive-thru. My goodness. Of all the places too, darling. I know. And like, we wanted it. Like we, I was like, bring me food. I want to eat something. Like I'm going to, you know, break all these. Yeah. She's getting everyone food and stuck. Yes. She's totally stuck. And you know, my husband needed to eat dinner. It had been a long day already. And so she was stuck. And I was like, you know what? I have peace about this. I'm going to get an epidural. I'm going to ask for an epidural. Yeah. And I really was pretty okay. I was not dying like mentally at this point, but I felt like my husband needed a little break from me not being okay. And I felt like I'm at a six, you know, like I, I got an epidural at one centimeter last time. So like, all right, we're, we're doing it. Like this is happening. Things are progressing. Let's do it. Naturally, my doula got back like right before they were placing the epidural. And she was like, what are you doing? No, like we're not doing an epidural. Let me do some hip compressions. Like, what are you talking yeah. about? She's like, a very no. like, she's just very like, come on, like, let's do this. And that's why I hired her because I needed that. But yeah. I had made up my mind mentally. Yeah. And which is I, okay. I was just like, yes, very much so. I think it it is honestly what needed to happen for a litany of reasons. But once my doula got back, she noticed that my heart rate kept beeping on the monitor 
And when you're in hospitals, you hear beeping all the time. And so like, yeah. we weren't really paying attention to what the beeping was and it wasn't the baby. So no one was really all that concerned, mm-hmm. but my heart rate was insanely high. Mm-hmm. So much so that my doula was like checking my Apple watch for my history of what my like normal heart rate was. Mm-hmm. And she was like, give me your Apple watch and let me look at what this normally is. But I had only gotten my Apple watch while I was pregnant. So I didn't have like a baseline. This is my Not, normal yeah. heart, right? Yeah. And so they basically, the nurses just turned down the volume on the heart rate monitor of mine that was saying, alert, alert, like something is wrong with this woman. So that's, um, that could be a sign of infection or it could be a sign of a lot of things. A whole bunch of other things. Yes. And so it seems like my doula was the only one who was concerned about that. I was concerned only about having a VBAC. So I was like, whatever, I don't whatever. want any hindrances to the VBAC. Like I don't, don't panic them about me because yeah, I'm good. I'm fine. Baby's good. I'm good. I'm fine. So again, I made it to 10 and pushing my heart rate was like through the roof. And I guess one last, I need to rewind a little bit. Sorry. I had had a cough for the last like four weeks of my pregnancy, maybe more mm-hmm. like six. It was a dry cough and it was like the height of COVID. So I had 75 COVID tests because Mm, they said I had COVID. Yes, exactly. And they said if I had COVID that my doula couldn't come into the birth with me. And with my husband's history, I was like, no, no, I have to have my doula. Like that's not an option. And so I took a thousand COVID tests, but it was never COVID. It was never positive. I just had this dry cough that would not Mm. go away. And the cough combined with the heart rate was really freaking my doula out. Even when I had, you know, had an epidural, I took a little nap. I made it to 10 and pushing. And when I was pushing, my cough really started to like ramp up. I was coughing incessantly. And I remember the midwives like joking, we're all going to have COVID at the end of this birth. Like, obviously this lady has COVID because she's coughing up a storm. And like, we were talking about one of the midwives had like just gotten her taste or smell back or something after having it. And she was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get it again. It was all this sort of like lighthearted conversation, like very like, yeah, we're all going to get COVID, I guess. But Um, yeah, lighthearted, like, (laughs) right. Yes. Except for my doula. She was like, "Mm, okay, this this is odd. But she said, you know, maybe you'll cough your baby out. Like maybe it will help you. Maybe those like pushes will help you get the baby out. She was trying to be encouraging. And I, I don't even remember. I should probably look at my notes, how long I pushed. I think it was a couple hours. And again, I had a sunny side up baby Uh with my water broken and she was just lodged and would not come down. And I felt, were they able to like try and rotate at all? Or was she not low enough? They didn't, neither of the girls ever descended. I, I don't remember what station they were at, but it was high. And Mm -hmm. I looked at a picture of my third baby, like at 37 weeks and my belly was so much lower at 37 Mm -hmm. weeks than either of the girls on like the day I went into labor. So they were, they just never dropped. They were just not ready really. So when they said that it was time an OB came in who I'd never met before and was not the kindest about Mm. the way that she shared that information with me. And for me, this was, I felt like who's going to let me try for a VBAC after two. Like this is my opportunity to have a vaginal birth and how, 
how, if this is it, like, this is it. Like I, I can't, but it felt like at that moment, everyone in the room just sort of like fell to what she said. And like, I didn't have a choice. And even my doula who I adore was like, I think it is time. Like I, and Mm. so, you know, when your doula and your husband and your midwives both say, I think it's time, Mm. then you, I, what choice do you really have? Like I, and well, you trust you these also, people. Right, right. And you also don't want to be the person who's like, this sounds horrible, but like something happened to my baby because I was so hell-bent on having a mm. vaginal birth. Like at that point, it that's the, how the conversation felt. Her heart rate was yeah. dropping and it wasn't coming back up in between contractions. And they were like, okay, I, I think it's time. So mm. I reluctantly consented, but really, really struggled. I like sobbed through the C-section and threw up through the C-section. I hate having my arms out with Jesus on the cross. It's like, oh, it's just the worst thing in the world. It's just terrible. And it's not for everyone. And I feel like it's important for me to say that that was my experience. And I have a friend who just had a C-section and she was like, I thought it was really cool to like know that they were down there doing all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And she had a great experience. And I think that's amazing. I'm so glad she did. Yeah. But for me, it was, it was just so different than what I expected that it was deeply traumatizing for me, especially for the second time. Um, but the baby came out and she was fine. And I think it took her a couple seconds to start breathing. I think she had some meconium or something, but they handed her to my husband. She was all cute. And they brought her over to me she licked my cheek. (laughs) I do remember having a very different reaction to meeting her than meeting my first daughter with my first, I had never had a baby before. And so I felt like I, I, the first thing I thought was, I didn't think that's what she would look like. I just like, Mm -hmm. I didn't feel that like, Oh my gosh, I made this human and I love it so much. Like that, that was just not my experience. But with the second one, I had a three-year-old at the time and was like, you're going to turn into the coolest little person. And I love you. I just like knew how to love a child then. And so it felt much better and different, which actually made the next part a lot harder. I still had my cough. It did not go away. And after they had sewn me up on the table, every doctor had left the room and it was just like the surgical techs and the people that are basically cleaning up the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to cough and my arms were still out uh, and I was flat on my back. And you know, when you have a cough, you want to like turn to the side or sit mm-hmm. up and I couldn't do either of those things. So my lips turned blue and they called a code. I don't, I was breathing. So it wasn't like, a. I don't know what the codes are, but they pressed a big alarm and people came running. Brian, my husband was holding the baby and they took her out of his arms and basically pushed him into the hallway so that he wouldn't see me die, I suppose, was the thought or drop the baby or, you know, who knows. But I, I just wanted to like turn over. And I was like trying to explain to these nurses while having a coughing fit, can you just like, let me roll over? And they were trying to put oxygen on my face. And I was Mm -hmm. like, that's not going to help this like tickle in my throat. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to put oxygen on my face. So I was like biting them off. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was just like, why can't you understand me? But I wasn't speaking words. So that's why. So the first person who ran back into the room was my anesthesiologist. 
And she apparently was a cardiac specific anesthesiologist, which I did not even know was a thing. But she took one look at me after I had sort of settled down and said, uh, I believe that you just had a pulmonary embolism and you need to go to get a, a CT scan. And at that point, I didn't know what a pulmonary embolism was. So I was not all that concerned about it. I was like, you're silly. I just have a cough. I've had a cough for like four weeks. What are you talking about? And I knew that my husband was going to be really upset and obviously, but they, he wasn't going to be allowed to come with me to get a CT scan. So I was like, you have to let me go talk to my husband. I have to go tell him that I'm okay. And it's not funny, but it's now just sort of a dark humor inside joke that when I went to go talk to him, I was like, babe, don't worry. It's just a pulmonary embolism. (laughs) And he was like, Abby, those Uh, two people, (laughs) that's not a just kind of thing. And they found several bilateral pulmonary embolisms in my lungs. And one of my lungs was 98% occluded. So 2% not being able to make it. So I spent the first two days of her life in the ICU. And again, it was COVID. So I wasn't able to see her because everyone in the ICU was there for COVID. And they were like, well, we don't want your newborn to get sick. And they were on different floors. So they brought her to me like one time. And then I pumped milk for her that nurses took back and forth. But it was really insane. (laughs) They gave me blood transfusions and immediately put me on heparin and a drip to start clearing up the blood clots and get them thinned out. And that I, when I got finally sent home from the hospital, I had to start blood thinner injections and do those for the next six weeks, which unfortunately led to a postpartum hemorrhage. Oh I, my land. It was a wild ride. This wasn't even that long ago. It was October, 2021. And so I basically didn't have any postpartum bleeding for like the first week. And I was like, man, maybe the C-section is just like the way to do it. (laughs) Like maybe this is making the bleeding Mm -hmm. a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Um, But what they think happened is that I had some major swelling and it was basically holding all the blood in my uterus. And by the time it opened up, it was like floodgates. I won't be too graphic, but when they tell you to call the doctor is when I called the doctor. I had a couple other scary experiences at home. I passed some clots and they had given me Cytotec, which is supposed Mm -hmm. to like squeeze your uterus down. Yep. And it clamped too much blood out and I lost too much blood in one hour basically. And so I passed out on the floor and I was on blood thinners. So my mom caught my head because you can get like a brain bleed if something happens while you're on blood thinners and I had to get a blood transfusion like the next day. So my postpartum experience was recovering from a C-section, recovering from the ICU and then postpartum hemorrhages. And I think I had three blood transfusions after being outside of the hospital. I don't even know how to like end that story and shift to the next one because it really was not that long ago. My, that daughter is now 15 months old. And like I said, it took us a long time to get pregnant with her. So Mm -hmm. I suppose you could say we were not all that cautious (laughs) after she was born. And six months later, we found out that we were pregnant with 
uh, well, we didn't know at the time that it was the boy, but we yeah. found out that we were pregnant, but I had already been asking like the hematologist and the pulmonologist, like literally everyone. I was like, so what happens when I get pregnant? Do I need to be on the blood thinner injections like day one? How does this work? What am I going to do? And they all thought I was crazy yeah. because they were like, this chick almost just died. Why is she thinking about getting pregnant? And I was like, is this ruling me out of a VBAC? Like I had all the questions. <laughs> And I'm glad in retrospect that I asked them early and I was like, you know, it could be two years from now, but I want to know what I'm supposed to do day one. And I'm not going to be seeing a pulmonologist on a regular basis when, you know, my baby is two. So I might as well just ask now. And so I had all the information that I needed, which was wonderful, but I, uh, I struggled really hard with nursing her, but all of my kids have had tongue ties and it's just been a difficult journey breastfeeding. But Jimmy, the middle one, had colic and food allergies. I was down to like seven foods that I could eat. Oh, and that's so the worst. It, was, it was terrible. I was I was off eggs, soy, dairy, gluten, caffeine, and tomatoes and corn. Oh <laughs> so I really so couldn't really eat. eating anything. Like, <laughs> I really wasn't eating anything. I was like losing my mind. I was pumping around the clock to like try and get my supply back up. And she was still not gaining weight. And we just were like, you know, if this is working, I could maybe keep doing it, but it wasn't working and she wasn't gaining weight. So I switched her to formula. And once I weaned, we pretty much immediately got pregnant. Very much a surprise, but I feel like I need to share the beginning of the story because this is really the start of my VBAC story. And I'm really going to try not to cry. I had a postpartum nurse when I was postpartum with Ginny that we had never met before, but she just like adopted our family. And Mm. she brought me Uncrustables in the, like in the postpartum room. And those are like the best. And she was like, here's candy from the nurse's station. And you know, I think you get a little extra attention when you're the pulmonary embolism mom (laughs) in the ICU. So she just like adopted us and, you know, became a friend uh, to our family after the baby was born. So she called me a week before Mother's Day and said, Abby, she was bawling. She told me that she hasn't cried in like three years, and th- but this was the first time she cried. She was bawling her eyes out and said, Abby, I just had a dream about you and I, I have to tell you the dream. Mm-hmm. And as a nurse, she has seen in her time one stillbirth and it really Mm -hmm. deeply affected her, obviously. And she had a dream that she went to heaven and saw her stillborn baby girl as like a teenager. And she was holding three of my children. And Carly did not know that I'd had three losses because she met me after Jenny was born. She just yeah. knew I was a miscarriage mom. And she was like, thought she, in her dream, the reason she was sobbing was because she thought that meant I was going to experience more loss. And she was oh. devastated. She was like, oh my gosh, she's already been through so much. She just had a pulmonary embolism five months ago. Yeah. And so this stillborn baby girl who was a teenager in the dream calmed her nerves and said, no, no, these are supposed to be here, but this little boy is coming down soon. <sighs> And he oh, looked, I just got the chills. I, this is a true story. It's like the craziest thing in the world that is, it's just wild to me that this is part of my story, but it is. And yeah. she said he looked just like Hadley, my five-year-old, and that his name was John, which is our boy name and my dad's name and my grandfather's name. So like, that was oh always going to be gosh. the name. I We were like, 
okay, that's like really weird, right? Like you think that's weird, right? I think that's weird. And it is the reason that I took a pregnancy test and I, we weren't trying, so I wouldn't have taken one. Yeah. And I, it was the faintest little line, like truly so, so faint. But because I knew that I needed to be on love and ox day one, and because I knew from my miscarriage history, I needed to be on progesterone day one. It was a Friday. So I texted my midwife and I said, I need HCG labs and I need you to call me in progesterone and love and ox. And my HCG that day was very, very low. I think it was a five and the lowest considered a viable pregnancy is like seven. And they want it to double or triple by 48 hours from now. And so I went back on Monday, I started my progesterone 11 ox on that Friday with the very faint Uh test and the very low HCG. And it was up to 77 on Monday. So it was doubling or tripling in the appropriate amount of time. And I kept going back and it kept going and he is sleeping in the other room right now. So he clearly stuck and I really contribute like his life, honestly, to Carly's dream. And the fact that it, I would never would have taken a pregnancy test. It was a Friday. I was able to be so proactive about the medicine and care that I needed. And I knew when she told me the dream, I said, I'm pregnant and this is going to be my VBAC. I just like knew it in my Uh. bones, like so intimately. I, I really don't know how to explain. It was just like a soul knowing I just knew. And she was like, the dream wasn't literal, Abby. Like, I'm not saying you're pregnant right now. And I was like, no, I know. Like, I just, I know. I just knew. And I, you know, people always say things like that, but that had never been my experience, especially trying to conceive. You're always like, oh, I stubbed my toe. Is that a sign of pregnancy? (laughs) You're looking for every little thing. And that, that this time it was like, no, I'm pregnant. And uh, we've wanted a boy the whole time. And I was like, this is going to be my boy. And this is going to be my be back. And I just new. And so really day one, I started fighting like hell for my VBAC because it was after two. And I knew that I was going to need to basically be a psycho. About it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think that's like my biggest VBAC advice for people is that if you really want a VBAC, you kind of have to be a psycho about it because no one wants you to have a VBAC more than you want to have a VBAC. So you need to advocate for yourself. I think a lot of people can take a sort of like, if it happens, it happens attitude. And that Mm -hmm. is fine. If that's truly how you feel about it, if -hmm. it happens, it happens. But if you really, really, really want a VBAC, you have to really, really, really fight for your VBAC, no matter how supportive your providers are, no matter how wonderful your doula is, it's only you who is going to get you that birth. It, you're the one who has to push the baby out. You're the one who has to do all of the work, even if there's people helping you. And I really, I did like day one and we would like a large family. And so our position from the beginning of the pregnancy was, well, if this baby is a C-section, we're probably done. I really don't want to put myself through more than three C-sections. The other two were so deeply traumatic for everyone in our family. I can't imagine recovering from a C-section with three or four children. Like I just, I we're we're going to be done. And so that really lit a fire under me to fight for it even more. And to Mm -hmm. say like, I don't want, even if we do decide now to be done, I didn't want a surgery to be what decided the size of my family. Like that was something I felt really strongly about. Um, 
so I started chiropractic like day one. I started doing all of the things. I took obviously all of my medicines and I just did, I, I just took really good care of myself and my body. And I think body work played a huge part in my pregnancy this time around. We found out at 20 weeks at my anatomy scan that the baby was breech. And I'd never had a breech baby. All of my babies were OP before. And so I was like, okay, surely, you know, this is 20 weeks. Like he's obviously gonna flip at some point. And he really didn't. I he was breech until 35. So I went to a Webster Cairo like twice a week. I did moxibustion. I did all the spinning babies. I hung upside down off my couch 700 times a minute and did everything you could possibly do handstands in the pool to flip a breech baby. And really nothing was working. I went to a, a body worker who's like, I don't really even know how to explain what he does. It's somewhat between chiropractic and massage therapy, but he tried to manually move the baby for me. It never worked. There were just, it. nothing happened. They told me I couldn't have an ECV because I was a VBAC after two. Wow. And my last birth was so recent and I had an anterior placenta. So it was basically All like- All the baby, cards were stacked yes, against you. So many cards. <laughs> so I basically was like, you know, I have this deadline. If it's, if I make it to 39, they're going to schedule me. Like there's, if he doesn't flip by then. And I, it was really, it was really dark, honestly, because I had had that like deep knowing the whole time, like this is going to be my VBAC, but I really started to doubt that and just say like, you know, I've had such shit luck before now, like maybe that's going to continue. Sorry if I'm not allowed to cuss on the podcast. You're just <laughs> maybe like my terrible luck is just going to continue. And I, that wasn't really the, a true feeling. And it was just a desire. And he finally flipped after a lot of tears and a lot of, I think I'm going to have to have a C-section. And I went to birth trauma therapy for the whole time, mm -hmm. but uh, we talked a lot about um, like, okay, well, what happens if you do have to have a C-section? Like, how yeah. are we going to be okay with it? If that is the outcome. Yeah. Um, so he eventually flipped, which praise God was amazing. But like the minute he flipped, he was LOA and I have never had a baby in proper birth position. And that is intense girlfriend. <laughs> like He was mm -hmm. like down low doing what he was supposed to be doing. And I was like, ow, <laughs> like, this is a lot of pressure all the time. Like it was just constant pressure. And it was like, felt like a lot of contractions and they were obviously prodromal, but I, with my experience with Hadley was like, just ignored them the whole yeah. time. I was like, la, 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 nothing is happening. Mm -hmm. But he flipped around 35 and a half, maybe almost 36. And the contractions really picked up like right away. And I never had a cervical check. So I don't know this, but I have a feeling that I was walking around at like a three or a four for a while. Mm -hmm. I was having very regular contractions, like not necessarily timeable, but they were real for sure and doing something for sure. And his position was doing something also. He was putting pressure down low and dilating me in my opinion. So at about, I guess it was 38, everyone kept saying, my doula kept saying, you know, I think, 
I think you're going to go early. I really think mm-hmm. you're not going to make it. Cause I was like, I'm going to go to 42. Like nobody's going to stop me. I'm <laughs> like, I will do whatever I need to do. You're mentally Megan prepared. Had a 42 hour labor. Okay. Like I will have a 42 hour labor if I need to have a 42 hour labor. I'll do all the things. And they were all like, no, you're, you're not going to make it. But then when you keep not having a baby, you're like, this is uh, making me crazy. Like yeah. prodromal is insane. It's just, it's such a mental game. And it's just like, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? Especially because I'd never gone into labor naturally before. Right. Um, but when it was it, I knew <laughs> there was really no denying it. I went to the chiropractor on an afternoon. I'm so excited. I'm about to start telling my VBAC story. Sorry, I'm long-winded, but I just, I like, love oh, it. This is like, this right here is, is truly what I've been dreaming of for a really long time. So thank you for giving me the space to share my story. I went to the chiropractor on a Monday at like four o'clock. And I said, I really, I think I'm going to go early. I've been having all these contractions. And I had one while I was standing there talking to her. She actually encouraged me to get a membrane sweep. And she Ah. was like, which she, I denied them the whole time with all my, you know, midwives. And it's just like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. But yeah. she was like, Hey, I made it. I went to 42 and I kind of wish that I had started, you know, the process a little earlier. And it made me doubt all of the prodromal mm-hmm. that I'd been have it, having because I was like, Why do you think I need a membrane sweep? I'm obviously having a baby I'm, like in the next five days. <laughs> yeah. You're like, My body's working. Exactly. That's how I felt. I was like, Okay, that's no, I don't know about that. But I had a contraction while I was standing there talking to her, like checking out and paying. And she said, are you having a contraction right now? And I was like, yeah, this is just what it's been like lately. And I went home and was annoyed by the contractions and drank a body armor with some electrolytes and took a bath because that usually slows the prodromal down. And I had five contractions in the bath. And I was like, hmm. So I texted my doula and was like, so usually when I take a bath, it stops the contractions. Surely this means something is happening. And I didn't mention that for the last like two weeks, once he flipped head down, I started bleeding like pretty regularly. I'm on blood thinners. And so you could, I could get a paper cut and it would be like the Red Sea. So it was not all that concerning. My doctors were like, well, it's not your uterus, the baby's okay. You would be in pain if you had a rupture, Mm. like everything seems okay. So my poor Jewel, I texted her a lot of pictures being like, is this bloody show? Is this bloody show? Do you think this is bloody show? But finally on the night that I took a bath and had contractions in the bath, she said, that looks like bloody show. And I was like, all right, okay. Now we're cooking with gas. Something is happening. I got out of the bath and was like, very annoyed. We'd had a long day. We have two other kids and we were both, my husband and I were both just so tired and wanted to go to bed. And he said, can I make you some dinner? I don't think I'd eaten anything. And he said, I have a couple steaks. Can I make you some steaks? And I was like, that sounds awesome. So I was like, I'm just going to sit in bed. I'm going to watch new girl and ignore these contractions and eat some steak. And I attempted to do that, but the contractions were starting to pick up and I couldn't eat. Like it was like I had to eat in between contractions and like chew and uh-huh. swallow really fast. They did not uh-huh. enjoy the steak at all. <laughs> and I laid down and I felt a pop. And I had experienced my water breaking with Jenny. And I was like, that was my water. So I texted yeah. my doula and said, I think my water just broke. And she had been fielding all these texts from me for the last two weeks about the blood and this contractions and blah, blah, blah. So it's not that she didn't believe me, but she was just like, okay, so tell okay. me what makes you think that your water just broke. And I said, well, I didn't pee. <laughs> and she was like, okay. And I said, I 
got up out of bed. My husband had just put down like a piddle pad underneath the the sheets because he was like, you know, just in case you're having all these contractions. Yeah. Don't want to totally ruin the mattress. And so I like hopped up out of bed really quickly because I wanted to go back to sleep after my water had broken. So I was like, even if there's a piddle pad, I don't want the sheets to be wet because I want to sleep in them. And right. it was a, it was a flood and it was like very much my water. And I was like, okay, nope, that's okay. Things are happening. Yeah. And things really did start to happen so, so quickly. It, you know, as a doula, you have all these numbers in your head of, okay, so there's 511 and you call the doula when it's 511 and then you go to the hospital when it's 411 and your contractions are a minute long and, you know, not slowing down in intensity. And that was very much not my experience. It was zero to 60. I think the prodromal that I had been having just ramped my body right up. And, and so there was no early thing. labor. Prodromal labor can do that because it your body's did. been working. So we call it prodromal labor, but it's not like your body wasn't just doing anything. Like it's it been felt like it was working. doing nothing, but it clearly was. Doing it was. Work. Yes. So listeners, if you have prodromal labors, seriously, like just be on the lookout. Sometimes when labor does start and you've had a history of prodromal labor, it can start right out of the gate, right? Like it was aggressive. <laughs> yes. So basically immediately my contractions were two minutes apart. And at first they were like 40 seconds. And my doula was like, you know, they can start out kind of intense and maybe taper off a little bit. And that is not the direction that it went. They started ramping up in intensity. I watched about four minutes of New Girl. It was like, this is, and we were so tired. I just kept saying like, I want to do this tomorrow. Like, I I really just wanted to sleep. (laughs) And with my my middle child, I had got, been able to go to sleep after my water broke. I slept all night in my own bed. And this was just so, it was like, it just ramped up in t- intensely so quickly. So I hadn't washed my hair when I had taken a bath. It was just like a soaky kind of bath. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go take a shower. And I wanted to wash my hair in the shower. And I felt like maybe my doula can braid it and it'll look cute in the morning and I'll just have clean hair. And, you know, if I end up with a C-section, I'm not going to be able to wash my hair for like five days. So might as well just do it now. And my contractions picked up in the shower. And I remember getting back onto my bed and being like, I don't know how I'm going to like get dressed. Like it was like so intense. So intense. And I just was expecting, even with, with the second birth, the contractions with the pit were, you know, scheduled essentially they were intense, but they were scheduled. And so you get a break in between them. You get to like, okay, let me take a deep breath. Let me like reassess. There was no time for reassessing. And honestly, it was really scary. Like I, I have to be honest and say, like, I did not, I've had a lot of people say, I'm so glad you got your dream V back. And I was like, I don't think I would use those words. I got a V back and I'm so glad that I did, but it was really, really scary because I was just so intense so quickly. So fast. Yeah. And part of the birth plan was stay at home for as long as possible. Like you don't want to go too soon and mm-hmm. have them tell you you're two centimeters. And then all of a sudden you're stuck in the hospital, right? And especially with your water broken. And I, I just remember struggling to get dressed and telling my husband, I think we need to go to the hospital. And he was like, 
it's literally my job to tell her not to go to the hospital. <laughs> like I, I have one job and it's to and not it's let to her say go. No, <laughs> <laughs> not supposed to do that. Like this is very specific instructions. And so he called my doula and was like, she's begging for you. She's really, you know, starting to moan through them and not be able mm-hmm. to like, like get sentences out. And she said, let me listen to her. And he put me on speaker and she said, I'm going to meet you at the hospital. <laughs> I think it's time to go. And I was like, thank God someone's letting me go to the hospital so that I can get an epidural. <laughs> like, I was so ready <laughs> for this show to be over. I was like, if I get an epidural, they'll let me take a nap. All I wanted was to just I go just back to sleep. To sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to go back to sleep. And so we got in the car. My friend was coming to keep our children and just like sleep on our couch while mm-hmm. we were, you know, going to the hospital. And we were about to leave before she even got here. They were well asleep. It was like 10 o'clock at night, but we were like, we have to just like leave the front door open for you. And she ended up making it. And she saw me in the front yard and she was like, Brian, do you think she's in transition right now? And he was like, I don't know, but this is really intense. Like the car ride was horrible. We only live like nine minutes from the hospital, but it was just so intense and just no breaks. And I really, uh, it it was scary. I'm so painful. I follow pain-free birth on Instagram and mm-hmm. I, they're liars. <laughs> like that, it is not pain-free. I just don't want anyone to listen to this podcast and be like, pain-free is what Abby experienced because <laughs> and I was like you know you always think you're a badass until you're not and I was like mm-hmm. no get me an epidural right now I am dying yes. I will do anything like I just send me the anesthesiologist right now and so by the time we made it to the hospital nine minutes later I was screaming like screaming like in the movies and we always joke you know as my husband and I are now birthy people I've transformed him to the dark side I love it so (laughs) but we all started with business of being born (laughs) exactly second date oh literally but we always make fun of like Hollywood movies where like a woman's water breaks and then she's screaming in the hospital 20 minutes later but that's exactly what happened to me it was so instant my water broke at 8 30 we called my doula at nine 30 and she said, Holy crap, go to the hospital and got to the hospital. Oh, I wish I had the exact timeline. I might have to look. We got to the hospital and I was screaming bloody murder, like getting out of the car. I don't even know how I walked from the car to where I needed to be, but they, <laughs> the woman at the front desk heard my screaming and ran to get a wheelchair for me and run me up to the OB floor because this poor woman was like, we're not having a baby in the lobby today. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure she was probably like, uh, yeah. she truly was like, go, this is my job. I'm going. And so she ran me up to the OB floor and my doula apparently pulled in right behind us and she was on the floor but heard me screaming through the elevator shaft <laughs> from the eighth floor. <laughs> screaming Megan like I don't I really a lot it was a lot I feel like I owe a lot of people some cookies at the hospital because I was (laughs) my midwife said I came in hot you came in hot (laughs) I, I really did they were like running me down the hall and this poor I will never forget this poor girl at the triage desk was very obviously new 
And she asked me if I could fill out paperwork. And I was like, do I look like I could fill out paperwork right now? Like I'm like sideways in a wheelchair with like my leg up, like yelling at everyone. And I just was like, no, I will not be filling out paperwork right now. So they took me to triage, which I honestly thought was BS. I was like, I'm obviously having a baby. Um, like, why do yeah. I need to go to triage? Yeah. But they, they saw... They saw me right away, which was very helpful. I saw a midwife I'd never met before, which made me nervous because, you know, as a VBAC mom, you're like, I want to know that it's the right people. Right. Um, But around the corner comes, they tried to get an IV in my arm. I was flailing. There was just no way that that was going to happen, which is awesome. I didn't want an IV anyway. (laughs) But around the corner comes a student midwife who has been with me through like my whole pregnancy. She shadowed a bunch of different midwives and I saw her several times. We actually had a really wonderful conversation. I guess one of the times that the baby was breached at the doctor and I told her about my birth trauma and how difficult it was for me and all the reasons we didn't want another C-section. And she just gave me the most trauma-informed care. And Mm. she just like sat and listened to me like well beyond the time of the appointment. And she made friends with my five-year-old like during the appointments. Mm. And she just was like such a light. And the midwife came in and she said, hi, I'm Barb. And I have a student with me today. And I had just literally been screaming at everyone in the room. And I said, is it Kara? And it was, (laughs) it was her. And I was like, I would just, I gave her a big hug. She was like, it's me. And it was like the most joyful moment Mm -hmm. of a really, really intense. And it was three and a half hours start to finish. It was so, so fast. And so it was just a very intense, honestly, scary time. But seeing Kara was just like, okay, you are just a safe person for me right now. And it felt like, I know that you know how badly I want this. And I know that you're going to do everything in your power to help me get it. And Mm -hmm. and like why this is important to our family. It was just like, okay. But I still didn't calm down. I was not calm. (laughs) None of it was a calm experience at all. There was just no time to emotionally switch from Process. No. I'm sitting in my bed watching new girl to I'm at a hospital having a baby. Like it just was so quick that I just, I could not, I couldn't wrap my head around the change in life situation. And they checked me and it was Kara who checked me, the student midwife. And she said, well, you're an eight and a half. And I was like, okay. And my husband what? was like, what? I was not supposed to come to the hospital. And then he was like, oh my gosh, thank God I came to the hospital. I'm so glad I'm not (laughs) delivering a baby on our toilet right now. That is not what he wanted at all. So she said, you can start pushing though. Like I never, no one ever told me I was 10, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. She basically said, if you're feeling pushy, you can push. And I was like, I just want this baby out of me because I want this to be over. Like I'm very much done with this process. So they took me to an L&D room and tried to switch me from the triage bed to the regular bed. And I truly was in so much pain with no breaks in the contractions that I was like, no, I can't even get on the bed. And they were like, trust me, you don't want to be on the triage bed to deliver a baby. Try to you know, yeah. get over there. And it was just every movement that I made felt so challenging and so painful. They asked if I wanted to, <laughs> like, I went on my hands and knees. And they were like, is that comfortable? And I was like, do I look comfortable? (laughs) It was just like the most erroneous question. I was like, what part of me screaming makes you think that anything about this is comfortable (laughs) right now? 
And of course it was too late to get an epidural. And so, you know, when they tell me, you know, it's basically time to push, I was like, I don't, I don't want, I just wanted to take a nap. I just wanted an epidural. And I knew when she said eight, I was like, Oh no, I have to do this. Like I have, Mm -hmm. I have to be here and I have to do this. Obviously in retrospect, I'm very glad that it was too late and that I did, but it was, it was truly just so, so intense and I, again, just like how quickly it happened, just did not allow the time for me to even Process. understand what was happening. Yeah. But I started pushing when we got in LD, and they, the midwife who is very old school, I'm not going to guess her age, but she's older, was like, got in my face. And I, I say, I'm an Alabama football fan. And so I kept joking that I needed someone to Nick Saban me in labor. I like, I needed like, all right, Abby, here's the deal. See you at the finish line. And she totally, I'd never met her before. She like totally got in my face and Nick Saban me. And she said, Abby, I said, I just want the baby out. Like, I just want this to be over. I just want to get the baby out. And she was like, we can get the baby out. You can get the baby out, but you have to stop screaming. She said, you're letting all your power out of the top of your body by screaming. You have to channel that, take a deep breath and push down. And I just felt totally incapable of that. But I was, again, so over it that I just was like, okay, I guess I'm just going to do whatever this random lady says. And I started pushing. And less than 30 minutes later, my son was born. Mm -hmm. And it was, I was at the hospital for 48 minutes before he was born. So it was like pulling in the parking lot, truly like a movie. It was just, it was just the fastest thing I've ever experienced. And it was really scary and apparently it was also really scary for him because he came out not breathing. Mm, um, fast transition. Just, it was so fast. It, everything was so fast. It's officially precipitous labor, like the time frame that I experienced. Mm-hmm. And he was just totally unresponsive. My doula said that she saw his chest rising and falling when they took him away. But it was, you know... I, you, you want the pull the baby up on your chest experience. And I was so shocked when I pushed him out, pushing was so hard. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And I, they told me that I could see his head and I touched his head and I was like, oh my gosh, there's baby coming out of my vagina. Like, I can't believe this is happening. But then the, like the endorphins that you sort of expect to follow that didn't really happen because Mm -hmm. we were panicking. Yeah. Um, My husband and I were like, bawling and praying out loud and just were so nervous that the baby was not going to be okay. My doula said it was less than three minutes, but of course it felt like felt like know, an eternity. Minutes. It was, it was terrible. Yeah. There were like eight people around him on the table and oxygen. And it was just a very medical experience. And again, you know, I've had a lot of weird birth things and mm-hmm when I first envisioned being a mom, I envisioned, you know, home birth really. Mm -hmm. And all of my births have had reasons that they needed to be at a hospital with Ginny, like praise the Lord that I was on an operating table when I threw a pulmonary embolism and that there was a cardiac anesthesiologist that knew. And honestly, had I had a vaginal birth with Ginny, that pulmonary embolism would have flown up into my lungs walking around my cul-de-sac on a Tuesday and like, I wouldn't be here. Like, that's just not Mm -hmm. the kind of thing that you can come back from. It's, they're literally called the silent killer for that reason. So it is, it's hard to admit that 
the way that I didn't, I wanted things to happen was yeah. not the way that they happened, but I, I'm so thankful for all the medical people and all the things that happened the way they happened because my children are safe and I'm safe. And that doesn't make things any less traumatizing if yeah. you've experienced trauma, but I, it's just, it's just really overwhelming to think about like how things could have happened had I been more stubborn or <laughs> insisted on a home birth this time or whatever. And so I, I think my biggest shift, obviously once the baby was okay and everything, I had a second degree tear, which was like, no big deal. She stitched me up. That took forever. I was kind of over it <laughs> at that point. Oh, but yeah. um, by the time she was done and he, they'd handed him to me and everything was fine. You know, people had sort of cleared out of the room. I had to go to the bathroom. I'd had so much water during labor. I have a big Stanley cup and they, I just kept asking my husband to give me water in between every single contraction. I was like, water, water, water. It was like the only thing I said for an hour. And I was like, I really have to go to the bathroom. And the nurse just sort of looked at me and was like, okay, it's over there. And I was like, I can like go to the bathroom. <laughs> like I can just stand up and go to the bathroom. And I, I did. I mean, she was like, I can help you. Like she wasn't trying to like be rude or anything. Yeah. She was like, yeah, yeah. Let's like, we can totally go. And I was like, no, I think, I think I can go to the bathroom. Like just yeah. totally unmedicated. I had no IVs. I had no, you know, the continuous fetal monitoring did happen, but it was someone just holding. They didn't even have time to like put anything on me. They just held it down at the bottom of my belly. So I, I was pretty unencumbered. And by the time I was done, I could just get up and go to the bathroom. I took a mm -hmm. shower in the postpartum room the next day and everything was just like night and day. I've already, you know, taken walks with my family. I took the baby out of the house yesterday by myself, carried his car seat by myself. And the recovery is, my birth was not a dream birth. It was terrifying and I'm glad it's over. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad I did yeah. it. It was, I it, it's, amazing and empowering. And so like, don't hear me saying it wasn't amazing, but the yeah. postpartum experience is what has solidified for me that it was worth every second because for mm -hmm. three and a half intense hours, I don't have to have like four plus really terrible weeks trying to recover right. from like a major abdominal surgery. Right. So it was worth every very, very intense second. <laughs> oh my God. Gosh, well, I know, congratulations. Sorry. Thank you. And congratulations. Story. <laughs> and it's okay. I love it. I love it so much. And I appreciate you sharing. And I could just like feel the intensity, right? And well, like, I'm nice. sure for everybody, it was just like, ah, like so much yes. happening. And that, you know, those precipitous births. I mean, the just recent recording, I think it was last week's episode, <laughs> accidental at home. Like, it just, Yep. Sometimes it, these babies, they just come and they are ready to go. But I really appreciate you totally sharing ready. your story. Oh, I'm so, so glad. You. I'm so glad. It was really such a joy and overwhelming to to be here. And just honestly, thank you mm. for, I feel like what you do is is just such a service to women. Yeah. When you when you have a C-section, like you might think like that your body is incapable or not able to do what you thought it might be able to do. And it's, it's really disempowering to feel that way. And so to yeah. hear these stories is such a gift. I just ate them up like candy. I listened to mm. the feedback link on the day that I went into labor and I was going oh. on a walk before I went to the chiropractor. And it just like gave me the the power to say, I think I really can do this. And and oh. I did. So thank you. And now you're, one of, now uh. you're one of those stories. Now you're one of those stories. 
And before we before we go, I just wanted to share with everybody, if you guys want to go find Abby on social media, again, she's not actively doing right now, but yeah. I can see it in the future. And Definitely. she is at Abby Craft Mac which I love. Yes, um, craft with a K. Yep, craft with a K or um, abbycraftmac.com. So, and we'll make sure to be tagging you today on Instagram and all the things. So thank you again so much for thank being here. Thank you, friend. I'm so thankful. Interested in sharing your VBAC story on the podcast? Submit your story at the vbacklink.com slash share. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to thevbaclink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.